Here's the deal. Either you tell me what's happening, or I tell Dustin what I found under your bed. Please, no. Spill your guts, cowpuncher. What did she find under your bed? Nothing. Is it gross? Scale one to ten. A hundred. A hundred? The serial killer is a dark wizard from the Upside Down, and we've been looking for him. But he's in the Upside Down, which we can't reach. At least we thought we couldn't, until we found a gate at Lover's Lake. You're listening to Tone Vendors, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Tone Vendors. My name is Timothy Meerhead and I will be your host for today. We have two episodes coming up about the amazing sound work done on season four of Stranger Things. In our next episode, following this one, we'll be talking with the sound design and sound effects editing team. But today, I'm really excited to be joined by the Dialogue and ADR crew. Stranger Things is a show with a massive cast. And in this season, they were all spread out over different parts of the world. And in addition to different physical locations, scenes also take place in many different planes of reality. In order for this all to sound like it's part of one cohesive greater whole, the Dialogue team had their hands full. From set to final mix, our guests dealt with an absolutely massive amount of content and nursed it across the finish line in the highest levels possible. Joining us today are Dialogue Supervisor Ryan Cole. Ryan, it's great to have you back on again. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be back. Also joining us are Dialogue Editors from Stranger Things Season 4, Jill Purdy and Corey Pereira, who have both been guests on Tone Meters previously and are always excellent to talk to. It's great to chat with you both again. Jill and Corey, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be back. Finally joining us is the production sound mixer, Michael Clark. We don't have enough sound pros from on set on Tonebender, so we are always very happy when one comes on. Michael, a big hearty welcome to you as well. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's get started on the talk about Stranger Things. This is going to be my first question for the sound effects crew as well, but how do you handle just such a massive amount of content? It's basically like a bunch of movies instead of a bunch of episodes of a series, and uh I'm assuming you didn't have the same time schedule as you did for nine different movies. Ryan, do you want to tackle how you just figure out how to get this all in in the time frame that you have? Honestly, just one episode at a time. <laughs> you know, we get we did it in order, which really helped. And, you know, back from the get-go, Dean and Picture Crew were sending scenes. I mean, I was getting stuff as early as February 2020 from Lithuania. And Michael and I were talking at a very early stage. I think, Michael, was it a couple months in when we first started talking? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was very early. I like to talk to post-production early on, mostly to kind of give them red flags of things that are happening on set that you know, potentially could be problems in, in just preserving the dialogue, as well as discussing after seeing Vecna for the first time, kind of discussing an approach for him that we'll probably get into a little bit later. <laughs> I mean, that was that was really it. It's, it's about communication, which this team is really great at. So we were getting things ahead as much as possible. We got an early cut of episode nine back in September so that we could do a kind of a pre-cut just to get ahead of the visual effects and that sort of thing. But honestly, it was just about doing it one episode at a time, I would I would say, and coming up with a team and a plan and just hitting each one and trying to be consistent as possible so that it made it as easy to get from one episode to the next. Well, you guys just hit on something that I wanted to bring up because everyone that I talked to where I said I was talking to the sound team for Stranger Things said, oh, we have to talk about Vecna's voice. 
Vecna's voice, Vecna's voice, Vecna's voice. That was one of the main things everyone wanted to talk about. So, Michael, you just brought up how it was capturing it on set. Do you want to go into that for us? Well, um, we do, I work with uh, digital wireless, and one of the first things that Ryan had 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 noticed when I started turning into my tracks is that there's a hard roll off in the digital wireless spectrum with the the gear that I use at at 16k. And um, when I met Jamie for the first time, we met him as Vecna doing the scenes in episode one, and his voice was just astounding. I mean, it gravitated to the microphones. It was just deep and guttural. And I think a lot of people are amazed at the fact that that is mostly his voice. Aside from a lot of treatments that got done, the tone, that's him. And I immediately contacted Ryan and talked to him about what happened with season three. And he mentioned to me that they did a lot of oversampling, shooting Billy at higher sample rates. And I suggested that I can actually perform that here on set if it would be beneficial for you guys to shoot him at a higher sample rate. And I ended up, because of the nature of the wireless that I was using, I decided to go hardlined, give him full spectrum as much as he can have and utilize to be able to pull and tweak and lower if they need to, not that they ever needed to. And um, I did that as well as every character that Vecna talked through. So Dr. Brenner, Caleb, and just wanted to give them options to deal with in post-production. And then when I met Jamie as the friendly orderly, completely different pitch, completely different approach. And it was really astonishing to hear his range. Ryan and I talked about it and we ended up recording him at like 192K and it ended up being too much. (laughs) (laughs) Because we didn't know exactly what we were going to do with Vecna's voice at the very first, the recording at 192 was great. But then after hearing that and the treatment, the chain that Craig Hennigan, our sound supervisor, made, um, we really didn't end up using one of any of the 192 because his voice was so rich. We didn't really know if we were going to want to pitch it, but we didn't have to at all because he was just so great. I don't know. I think on Twitter, uh, the Duffer Brothers posted a video of Jamie doing the voice in ADR and he just nails it. I saw a means to realize my potential, to transcend my human form, to become the predator I was always born to be. Craig early on sent a treatment of the voice to the brothers and Dean and Sean and those guys with a treatment that like his first pass and everyone loved it. He kind of knocked it out of the park just from the beginning. And there's not, it's a lot of delay and reverb. There's really no pitching. And, you know, there's some EQ to really give it um, some girth, but Jamie's doesn't really need that. And even I think if you were to listen to the center channel, if you're listening in 5.1, that's just going to be Jamie's voice dry for the most part. Plus then Mark Patterson, our dialogue and music mixer, did more panning with it. You are brave, Maxine. Much braver than your brother. But in the end, are weak and fragile just like him like all the rest of them but jamie's voice is very very strong you want to get every chance possible to have these different sample rates so if you wanted to give him a really scary deep voice we could pitch without it getting all crazy sounding but we didn't have to he's just incredible wow so Corey and jill when you're cutting the episodes is that processing in your template or was that all done later on? 
Well, for me, I was brought on very late in the process to help out with these monster, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> episodes. So, um, I mean, it was a thrill for me to be asked. And from my standpoint, I mean, everything, all the Vecna processing was already in uh, the sessions that I received. I didn't have anything to do with I didn't cut those. They were already in place, already processed, and um, good to go from my standpoint. So I just focused on the production dialogue. So was Vecna all ADR then? Oh, no, there was uh, the only ADR that was added was if there was a line that got, you know, a wet, slippery footprint on top of it, which wasn't a lot because he's not talking and moving a lot of the time. Or if they wanted to change some of the wording of something that he said, but it's almost entirely Michael's recordings from set. I'd send prints of his voice chain to picture department once Craig had already established that. And again, we didn't change anything once Craig came up with something. We just had it playing in our uh, sessions to hear it as we were cutting it because it does it will accentuate little mouth clicks or certain things like that so we found it very the best case to hard cut everything for him and one of the hardest things on set was to try to isolate him from the efforts of the people he was killing um i wouldn't be surprised if some of those were adr and i knew going into it i mean we would ask the actors to 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 kind of hold it back a little bit but i mean how can you ask them to hold back fear and a lot of them it was genuine fear (laughs) Oh, yeah, we record. I mean, we did build a library of efforts of ADR efforts for Vecna because those on set, you know, he does these kind of muffled growls, which don't necessarily project well on set. But I don't know, Corey. I mean, yeah, I think our hardest job was cutting around the different the scared, you know, Max crying while Vecna is talking to her so that (laughs) Max's crying doesn't go into the vocal chain of Vecna and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I came in for episode four on this season. So kind of in the middle of introducing Vecna as a character. So as an editor, uh, definitely went through and took all of Michael's tracks and tried to isolate it as much as possible and kind of do all the cleanup. And then once it sounded as clean as possible and kind of removed all the kind of junk, yeah, just drop it down to those processing tracks. And then all of a sudden you get nice LCR Vecna. Amazing. And even the, even the actors that were doing the, you know, the scared efforts, we'd have so many takes that a lot of it wasn't even ADR. We'd just be able to take efforts from other takes and turn sure. them in. So yeah, definitely a little bit of piecemeal. Because again, Jamie is such a great performer. It's just about finding that performance and making it play uh, with what you have. And then kind of Ryan would come back with ADR on the back end and kind of fill in the gaps we couldn't fix. As I mentioned in the intro, this show has a huge cast. And there are scenes where there are a lot of cast members all making a lot of noise at the same time. And I was wondering if we could kind of pick a scene and uh, talk through how that was captured and uh, how it was edited. Michael, let's talk about the scene where Max is first being invaded by Vecna and she's raised up in the air and all the other characters are on the ground screaming and they're looking for cassette tapes. There's a whole sequence there where everybody's making huge noise. How did you go about capturing that on set? What What a great scene. Well, as standard practice for all production mixers, everybody gets a wire and then we boom as much as we possibly can as well. Thankfully, that scene was very contained in terms of spatial. So, you know, I'm hoping they used a lot of boom, but a lot of times when we have a lot of overlapping, that one boom tends to be the good choice, but you're going to have to ask the editors how they actually cut that scene. Chaotic scenes like that, I feel, tend to play out a lot more on on the body mics they're actually wearing because you can kind of get less phasing interaction between the microphones. But ultimately, when, when I mix it, I tend to mix one boom on set 
because I don't have to deal with the phasing. I can't control who's saying what. Um, and if I throw up every single fader, you'll get that phasing kind of creation on set. And if it works, then I'll leave it. If it doesn't, then I try to play one microphone for those types of situations. Corey, did you cut that scene? Yes, I did. So yeah, I think it's the process of going through each of the mics. So I think the blessing and the curse of this show is that Michael and his team did a really good job of miking all the actors and getting us a lot of choices to choose from. Uh, that being the curse, that you then have a lot of tracks to go through and not a lot of time. But for that scene in particular, it's all about going through and finding the best bits and using auto line post to make sure everything is going to sync up. And then really finding the narrative in a scene like that. Like what characters are saying things that impact the story in that moment and then trying to weave them together in a way that it sounds chaotic it sounds busy but it has some sort of narrative line that you can kind of feel between the different characters without it just being a bunch of noise and ryan how did you go about uh organizing those sessions it's the same as what Corey and Michael were just saying. We just kind of go through the mic one by one and take the best. And, you know, and a lot of the time in the Avid, they'll layer them all up on top. So you might have a section where Steve is talking on top of himself three times. So it's a matter of us going through and finding what works best and while still keeping the chaos because we love the chaos and that stuff. That's what keeps the energy going. And there were, in that particular scene, there were little bits of ADR to fill in blanks if we had a section where, yeah, where there's the same character talking on top of himself to fill that in or to add in a couple extra tape names and that sort of stuff, fun stuff. So uh, Corey mentioned he started on episode four and Jill, you said you came on during the production as well. Ryan, how do you go about making the process easy when you're bringing someone onto a plane that's already flying at full speed? Yeah, I mean, I will say we had uh, Dave Butler, Polly McKinnon, and Rob Chen on this show as well. And just because of the the beast, you know, it is, it's nine movies. And two of those movies are real. Like, or one of those movies is a two and a half hour movie. <laughs> right. So um, I just try to keep and I do this with anything I work on is I try to keep it as simple as possible. And Jill and Corey can tell you whether I succeeded. <laughs> or didn't. But I just have a, a template and just say, hey, here's your section. Here's your section. Everyone go. We're all pros. This is when we need it. by. Let's go. And it's just about keeping open communication, checking in. Hey, anybody need anything or not? Cool. All right. You know. And yeah, we started it back in December with everyone and we just try to keep the same template. And it's the same, it helps with Mark Patterson mixing as well. Because if we were to change it up every single time that we handed over an episode, he'd be pulling his hair out and I wouldn't be on the <laughs> show anymore. <laughs> Jill, do you want to talk about your experience on uh, jumping on this train? Sure. I mean, Ryan, I mean, your organization is just insane. And you reaching out to, to everybody, like constantly checking in and even individually checking in, it's just unsurpassed. So it was a pleasure working with you and for you. I'll, I'll say that up front. Thank you. And then the, I mean, the template as well was very well organized, very easy to follow. Everything was color coded. I mean, there was a whole legend. It even said legend, I think, um, of <laughs> colors in terms of, you know, um, alts and if anything had been rx and sync changes and, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, once you just wrapped your head around what was going on it was really really easy to follow and to get through and yeah so I came on episode 407 so I worked on 40 minutes of seven I think and then 20 of eight and nine each and yeah it was, it was a well-oiled streamlined process by the time I got to it so there are very few questions and everything I mean every question that I could have had for Ryan was already kind of outlined in that session so it was a pleasure it was easy from that standpoint yeah and the tracks, Michael, the tracks were, were awesome to work with, I got to say. Like, it was, there were some tough, 
exterior scenes and and they all cleaned up like so well so oh thank you very much i'm i'm actually in awe of what can happen on your end in terms of taking care of on set nuances that we have absolutely no control over sometimes (laughs) Corey, what was your experience jumping on board well, I'd say one of the biggest takeaways from this discussion should be the value of having a good, experienced dialogue and ADR supervisor. Because again, we really did make nine movies and somehow we had uh, different editors coming on and leaving and it sounds consistent. Like you watch the final product and it feels like Ryan was sitting there in a room by himself for a year and a half doing it himself. And and, and <laughs> honestly- Not at all the case. <laughs> not at all. But I mean, that's the big thing is, I mean, Polly and David helped out for the first uh, three episodes. I came on, did a few myself. Uh, and then the schedule, of course, compacts. And then we had David, Jill, and Rob jump in. And again, it was all very seamless that we could kind of hit the ground running, ask a few questions here and there to Ryan, but pretty much have the autonomy to do our thing and then move on to the next one. So Ryan, as dialogue supervisor, they're, all the different dialogue editors are handing you back their session, and then you're making a master session, correct? Correct. And but it's all, they're all, everyone's all working in the same template, but even if they don't, none of us are so uptight, it needs to be done a specific way and we all do it fairly similarly. So, and you know, we're all pros, so we just work it together and then I, and then I combine it all into one and even it out for Mark essentially. And are you doing anything to make them all uniform or I guess, as you say, they're coming in that way already? I guess probably, but I think everyone has, because everyone has their own style, but I'm really not chained, you know, I'm not going through and being like, what the, you know, like anything like that. It's just, we all have our own way that we like things laid out, but I have to say we, at least Corey, Jill and I all work very, and Dave and Polly and Rob, we all work in a very, very similar way. And part of the template is that I keep it pretty tight and try to keep it pretty simple. So you can't get, because, you know, there are scenes where there's nine or 10 people with microphones on all talking you don't there's never a case where you need nine different microphones necessarily playing at the same time and if you give that to a mixer they might want to murder you but (laughs) we do need those nine channels from michael because at some point we're going to cross from this guy who's talking to this guy that's now we're panning back to the other room or the back of the rv where these other two guys are talking so we need all those microphones so it's just about going through and organizing and michael's stuff was laid out great and we all work very similarly I would say, um, and I will say also, um, which is a testament to Michael's tracks, there is very little AD, considering how much material there is, which is about 13 to 14 hours, there's very little ADR in the entire show, considering how many hours of media there is. Wow. So, Michael, do you want to give a shout out to your uh, team? You, you were recording in Lithuania, is that correct? No, no, I was the Atlanta. You I were the Atlanta. Atlanta. We, okay, we, we, did, we, did, we did the meat of the show. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, and a lot of the Russian um, stuff came in about season f- or episode five when Nimrod came on, when Hopper ends up in, I can't even, I can't even say the name of the prison, but when he gets to the pit, that, when he gets Kamchatka. to that moved Kamchatka, yeah, when he gets to that prison, <laughs> that all moved to the Atlanta unit. Yeah, my um, I had I had actually a huge team. I started the season off with Robert Maxfield as a boom operator and Eamon Fay as my utility, and then after Christmas that all switched, and I have uh, Brenton Stump who finished out the rest of the year from January to July, and Stokes Turner who was uh, my utility do did does all the wiring, and those two just really really rocked it. It was great. 
So I was speaking with Corey the other day, and he said a great thing that you do is you're using Zaxcom transmitters that the transmitters yeah. are recording as well. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk about that? Have you been using those for a long time? Or? Um, I, ha- I, you know, it was a transition we had to make. I, I didn't. My hope, most of my career, we use electrosonics if we want to get into name throwing and whatnot. But um, the, our, our RF spectrum gets got squashed by the FCC when all the telecom community companies bought all our spectrums up. And what Zaxcom does great is that you can fit a lot of wireless into a very narrow band. And they also have the recording capabilities at every transmitter. So this was actually my first show of trying to manage everybody's transmitter and make it organized so that if Ryan needed it later during a take where I use the boom throughout most of the scene, which we we tend to do a lot of, thankfully, because the duffers have a great respect for dialogue as well as sound, that we don't shoot in a traditional way of shooting three cameras at a time, which is where I came from prior to this this show. So I'm not listening to every single track. I can't possibly listen to every single wireless that's out there. And at times you get wireless hits or dropouts. And I organized it all out into my sound report. And I sent a big, massive email to Ryan and said, hey, if you dig deep into these tracks and you hear a a wireless hit of some sort and you want to save that, don't do ADR. Here it is. It's on a recording, separate recording. And he was able to go track this huge, I think I had a terabyte (laughs) of information. roughly, for sure where they could just grab that transmitter and pop it right into their timelines, time code sunk, same frame rates. Um, and they were, I mean, I'm hoping it all worked out great. He had mentioned a couple times he needed to dig in there and it, and it all lined up. Those were probably the only times I ever, we ever went looking for them. I mean, I don't know, Corey or Jill, I don't know. Uh, did you guys ever have to go digging for the backup recordings? It was like maybe five times in the whole season. I feel yeah. Like. I think I maybe had about three cues that I ended That's up beautiful. digging into those, but it makes a big difference when it's an important line and there's no alts. You can go in there, grab the file, and drop it right in. It it saves the day sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first time I've ever really used them. My first full on hundred percent. I had them mixed in before, but this was the first time, first show where I dove hundred percent in and tried to make everything a backup. Well, yeah, I can imagine in that moment when you've got the line that's not working to have that in the back of your head that you can go find it would be an awesome uh, safety blanket for sure. Um, So I mentioned also in the very intro about how uh, there's various planes of existence. I'm not really exactly sure how to describe it, but um, did was the dialogue treated differently in the upside down or within Vecna's mind? Yes, I can mention that for um, Mark did almost all of those treatments. Um, Mark Patterson, our dialogue mixer, who's not here. Um, but the brothers definitely wanted to differentiate between the two, wor- or, you know, the not not two. What there's the upside down. There's L's kind of black water mind reading room. There's Vecna's lair. Then there's Eleven in Max's mind when she when Ma- when she's going through Max's dreams when she's uh, skateboarding when she's younger. So all of them had different treatments. And then uh, Victor Creel's stamp- memories too. And Victor Creel's memories too. I will say Victor Creel's memories were the, probably the more straightforward of them all. Uh, whereas the biggest ones would have been the upside down. That was, our, uh, you know, because we spent a lot of time with characters actually just walking and talking in the upside down. And then another part was kind of the cross dimension, you know, with the light brights and all that. 
So Mark in season three and in the previous two seasons, they had kind of established what the upside down and what the black water rooms were going to sound like. So I grabbed what he did in season three and presented it to him in season four. So we had a reminder of how he did the plugins and how he did the different treatments and he tweaked them further. Um, and one thing we do um, is we will print reverbs in our edit for Mark to use if he wants, they're usually just to reference what's happening in the guide track. If they did a stinger, you know, every cut to black ends with a big reverb at the end, just to say, hey, you don't have to listen to the guide track. This is what they do. And Mark can either take that or dump it and do his own thing. But often he likes it because he's then reverbing a mono reverb, you know, so it makes it more natural as opposed to something just all of a sudden spreading to stereo. So we did that a lot. Uh, a lot of the cross dimension stuff was um, idea, you know, kind of reverse ideas that we came up with that then he took further. So there are a couple scenes where two dimensions are talking to each other. There's a scene where there's two types of even versions of that that are happening. There's the times when they're uh, on the other sides with the rope, the blanket rope, and they're talking yeah. to each other directly. And then there's other times where there's voices filtering through something <laughs> to get to them. Uh, do you want to pick either one of those, uh, someone, and talk about how you tackled that? Uh, yeah, um, so that kind of the idea from that was kind of peaked by Poltergeist, kind of that reverse reverb sort of idea, and then kind of making it a bit more, what is it, Stranger Thingsy, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> description. Um, I really, I, I found a couple um, reverbs that I really liked, reverse reverbs, and it's a lot of printing, and then as well as using some slapper to kind of give it room, and I find with, with that sort of stuff, and with most personally with futzes, um, you can make it really messy really easily. Um, and, and all of a sudden you can't understand anything. So I tried really hard to make a very clear reverse uh, reverb using the LX480. And then, um, so I had that kind of as the baseline. So even like it would ramp into the word and then, but then the words would be pretty clear, even though you'd still kind of get that sort of um, sound. And then underneath it, we had um, a VSS3 longer reverb. And I, print them and then I'd hard cut them so that they weren't playing the whole time to keep them clean. And I would even stretch them or compress them to kind of really give it a quick ramp or a longer ramp. And then Mark would then take it further and process it within the world. And in that place, like where Steve is hearing Dustin's voice, but not sure, Mark could then take it and pan it around, which really, you know, put it in the 3D dimension, which was really fun. Well, it was really oh, effective. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, that's my favorite thing. That uh, was one of my favorite <laughs> parts to do. And it's such a fun moment and such a sweet because they're doing using the light bright. It's, you know, it's very, um, it's not E.T., but it's, you know, there's like, there's the lights mm. and the colors and everyone's smiling. It's a nice, happy time. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. The, it's the happy scene in Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> there's, happy scene, there's happy scenes. I'm just my, teasing. Actually, I will I'm just say teasing. My, my favorite scene in the whole season is a scene where uh, that's almost three minutes long where no one talks. And they just pass cards back and they just write on oh. cards and hold them up to each other. And that's my oh, favorite yeah, scene yeah, in the whole yeah. season. And there's no talking at all. I don't think, and it's not, and I don't just like it because there's no talking. <laughs> um, well, speaking of uh, scenes where people aren't talking, uh, this season has had a massive effect on the pop charts because uh, it's brought back songs that uh, weren't on the charts for decades and decades. I'm wondering how those songs, uh, I'm thinking specifically of uh, a Running Up That Hill and Master of Puppets. Uh, Michael, if you want to talk about how you dealt with those songs on set, and then maybe uh, how we brought it through the edit afterwards. Yeah. 
on set, while running up the hill wasn't really used a lot on set, obviously Master of Puppets was used to great lengths on shooting that scene, which was one of my favorite parts of shooting because I never thought in my entire life I would ever be shooting a Master of Puppets music video. <laughs> and that was just awesome. And a cool little note was we shot that one day past the 35th anniversary of the release of that album. We were actually scheduled to shoot it on the day <laughs> that it was going to, that it was released, but we had a rain delay and we had to push the schedule, but one day, and, and that, that was awesome on set to kind of, you know, reminisce about, you know, that was just played a lot. And on that day, obviously, and uh, Joe was amazing at he, what was being played in his ears because we had earwigs for Dustin as well as Joe to play the music back because there was dialogue happening at the same time. And so we couldn't have the overlapping music playback with the uh, with the dialogue. But we actually had a little bit of a, a, a bleed through from his personal amp, which we had on top of that trailer that he actually played and people could actually still hear him playing, which he was pretty spot on. I thought, I thought he did an amazing job for somebody who only played as a kid. But music in general is a huge part of our onset presence. The brothers love to use music to pull emotion out of the actors um, during the scene when there is dialogue or when there is no dialogue. They are they are masters, and I always have a speaker hooked up, and they have a Bluetooth right to it, and they'll just play music during the scene all the time, and that's always a challenge. I've I think I reached out to Ryan at one point, going, ah, "Is this going to be all right?" <laughs> and uh, he's like, "I'm used to it." <laughs> <laughs> The Duffers had full control over that, so they knew when to stop it. They knew when to start it. So, you know, and like I said before, they're they're great at at, perfect, at, at preserving the dialogue. But I, I love how they use the music as, as an emotional impact for the actors. And so, Ryan, when you got the scene, uh, the Master of Puppets scene, how did you go about tackling it? When he's playing the guitar, there's not actually any music going on, and... Then I was going to say when there's other music happening, I guess when Dustin's yelling, he's yelling. So if there is any music on set, we can, we can you know, hit his voice pretty. And with that sort of noisy bit, we can hit it pretty hard. Plus there's tons of bats and heavy <laughs> metal music playing in the background. So even if there was on set music, you don't really have a chance of hearing it. Uh, but I don't actually particular in that scene, the move because there isn't a lot of talking right between Dustin and Eddie in that scene. I heard it more, and um, I'm sure Corey did as well in other scenes. Um, you get it in emotional scenes where there's music playing in the background, and either the actor will be crying or it'll be a very soft moment with music playing. So we, you know, we use RX music rebounds is great. Dialogue isolate is great. Uh, Waves clarity came out when we were doing this, and that helped. And it's just about going in and hard cutting those bits, taking out any tones and, you know, a lot of reverb helps it a lot as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even that music, I don't know how many things we cued for ADR because there was music on set. I would say almost zero. Not even efforts. If the actor gave enough of a, um, like, like if it was a loud enough performance, yeah. we did not. Wow. Unless it was to get additional effort anyway. Um, but it would have been um, very few. It was if they had enough gain, we used what was there. Yeah, that's amazing um, so, because I, I try yeah. to fight for that on set as much as I possibly can. Thinking, do they want to bring them in on this emotional scene to recreate crying, especially especially those heavy emotionals? 
Yeah, I would say the, I will say the biggest scene we had to redo all, a lot of the effort on was the bat fight at the beginning of Real Seven, which I think Jill, you cut. Is that correct at the beginning of the lake bed? And I think you just saw that it was cute for, <laughs> for ADR. You're like, all right, we're good because <laughs> you turned yeah, it on and they're said, listening to ACDC. Or yeah, go ahead. Sorry, you said skip the bat scene, so I started after the bat scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you heard all the music and the actors, they'd come in and they'd be like, why are we doing? Oh, I know why we're doing this. That's because, um, yeah, we all wanted to get in it. We wanted to listen to ACDC while we were pretend killing bats and we're fine with doing our efforts. A lot of them are very used to knowing that they're going to have to come in to do a lot of that sort of stuff. But that would be the biggest one where we had to replace the most. But even then, we were still stealing the production efforts that worked because they're in sync. And a lot of the time you can't beat what they do on the set, you know, for sure. So, Corey, do you want to tell me what was your favorite scene to work on of the episodes you cut? Ah, that's a really hard one. It's a lot of content, and I think a lot of it was challenging and fun at the same time. I'd say one of the more rewarding scenes was at the end of episode four, I mean, kind of bled into episode five, where there's kind of a shootout at the house in California, and they all pile into a van. And it's just a really chaotic scene. There's a lot going on there. There's people yelling on top of each other. And... I kind of like challenges like that. Like you just have a mess of tracks when you first listen to it. In the beginning of the day, you just kind of like exhale (laughs) and then you start digging into the tracks. And then after a while, you kind of piece it together. And I know one of the notes I had on that scene going into it was the Duffers wanted it to be more intense. So it's finding little bits in the handles and alternate takes to kind of piece it together and keep the intensity going when some of the actors kind of drop off when they're off camera. So that was a really fun one where it's a lot of work, but when you go and play it back, it's really rewarding just to kind of hear it all go from being just cacophony into something that actually makes sense. It's not throwing. Keep putting pressure on it. More pressure. Jill, did you have a favorite scene? So many favorites. I did cut the the card scene with Max and Caleb, and I spent an enormous amount of time. I don't even know why, but just finding sync pen scribbles or the, the writing mm. scribbles. But I mean, I've worked with with Sadie before, so it was it's it, you know anything with her, I I love to work on. Um, the pizza, the pizza scene, where you know the pineapple on the pizza, that one, and the scene with Will and Mike in the car. And, you know, where Will's crying at the end of that scene. And I'm like, hey, wait a second. I think I know what's going on here. Because I haven't seen, I'm, I wasn't, I was cutting episodes ahead of where I've actually watched the series too. So um, a bit spoiler alerts for me, but I was, those were, <laughs> those were pretty exciting. Those are pretty exciting. Ryan, what was one of your favorite scenes? I mean, I do love the light bright scene just because it was very fun and it was really funny as well. I love everything episode four. You know, Max sitting at Billy's grave and talking again, like Jill was saying, anything Sadie does. and But they're all great. And I mean, you know, Eleven Hopper's speech, there's there's just so many really, really great and fun scenes in it. Um, the poltergeist, you know, the cross-dimension talk, I would say, was one of the more fun and reward. Like after you kind of play, be like, oh, I think I actually made that sound kind of cool. I, don't, I mean, Mark <laughs> will then take it and make it even better. But um, I was pretty happy with how that one turned out. Okay, you guys seeing this? 
Holy <laughs> shit! Okay, try it now! Okay. Um... Uh... Hmm. <laughs> A? H. Hi! Hi! Hey. <laughs> that worked! Yes! <laughs> Hi! Awesome. Michael? My favorite scene actually was the Eddie and Chrissy scene, the d- drug deal, mainly because Eddie's character shifts there and he, his performance there was amazing and he added so much to that scene that just wasn't written. You know, his flip off the back of that park bench and popping up with with leaves all up in his hair was all him. And then we had to figure out a way to continue to keep leaves in his hair. And just that dynamic between those two was was really great on set as well. And I remember even telling Joe, like, man, that was a point where I went up to him and I was like, you're just killing this character. It's beautiful what you're doing. I have to agree that the, you know, the Max at the grave was, was, was good because Sadie in anything Sadie did this season was just <laughs> phenomenal and it was amazing to watch her perform. Right um, on. But that was, that, that, that was, that was a good scene. It was a challenging scene, but cause, cause we, we shot a lot of different wides on that and, and, and I wanted to capture that dialogue consistently and, you know, because we knew it was going to be played in so many different sizes. So we used a ver- variety of plant mics and booms and, and, and wireless. And, and I think they ended up using the booms on most of that. It sounded great. Yeah, unless it, unless it was a real, real wide shot. Um, yeah, I think there were maybe two the... shots that there just wasn't usable boom. But yeah, it sounded really good. Yeah. And I have to say, Michael, the, um, the other favorite scene that... Um choked me up every time was the eddie spoiler alert the eddie dustin death scene oh um which is just gut-wrenching to watch yeah um and must have been pretty intense to record as well yeah we actually we actually had some issues on that one um in the beginning um the very first couple of takes on that one um eddie was laying on his transmitter and (laughs) i lost all audio to him on you know, obviously we had it recorded, but, you know, I have to make the daily sound good and the duffers have to be able to hear what he's saying. And it was a frantic move to, you know, get somebody who's laying on the ground, who's already in this space that he was in to grab a microphone off of his leg and move it into a different position to where I could actually get good uh, RF signal on that. Now that was a little bit chaotic, but what a great scene. Yeah. Awesome. When you have a massive amount of material like this, uh, how do you go about prepping things as much as possible so that the mixer can get through it quickly? Are you proce- you, you mentioned some processing some reverbs. Are you doing any panning in your edit sessions? Uh, can you just talk about ways that you try and uh, make the re-recording mixer's job a bit easier in your sessions? So for me, I think the biggest thing we can do as editors to kind of help out the mix stage is trying to make our tracks as concise as possible. So looking at everything you have and then kind of boiling it down to the least number of tracks you need to get the story told. 
And then also I think trying to leave breadcrumbs using the color coding that Ryan set up is really helpful. You can kind of look at something and know if it's been processed or if it's an alt. And then beyond that, I think trying to lay things out in a way that makes sense for you if you were going to be mixing it. So do I need to separate these tracks in some way so that they can more easily process them? And then you can kind of do that as necessary. And then I'll let Ryan kind of talk to more our approach to adding effects and doing a little more than you maybe would on other shows uh, to help mark out with these quick mixes. Well, I think that the way um, Corey and Jill cut it and the way I cut it, we're all fairly, you know, there might be tiny differences or preferences, but we're all pretty consistent with one another. And it's just keeping it consistent for Mark. I didn't do any panning. I leave that to the mixer, except for maybe some very rough panning in group uh, for loop group. I do print reverbs if I think it'll help Mark or if I think it'll help sell the ADR a little bit. But then it's just going through and trying to bring everything up to a certain level. And I mean like actual like volume level, gain level for Mark so that Mark isn't, you know, cause he's having to hit the Netflix spec. And if you listen to the show, the dialogue is right front and center. And one of the best compliments we've gotten on the show is that people don't really have to ride it to hear the dialogue because the dialogue is so upfront, but also natural sounding. And just getting it at a starting point for Mark that makes it easy for him to push it further and kind of push it up against his compressor. But Jill and Corey and I all do it. It's not like I'm sitting there and changing lots of things. We're all, like I said, we're all professionals and we're all very sim work very similarly, at least on this show. And it just kind of slotted in like magic, I would say for the most part. Can you give me some examples of your color coding that you're passing on to the editors? <laughs> <laughs> I know I sound really uptight. Um, I have, what is it? There's green if it's an alt or if it's something brand new. I just like, I kind of leave the track's default color unless something has changed. Pink for sync. So if you can tell if something has, sync has radically changed. Green for an alt. Yellow for if something's going to be ADR'd, but I... Um, Early on, I realized I kept it, but Mark's tracks are all yellow, so that kind of defeated the purpose for that. So Mark would have looked at it and been like, "Oh, everything's gonna be ADR, great," um, which was not at all the case. And then uh, like a light blue for RX, but I've since then I've gotten way less uptight about my color coding. I like knowing if something's an alter. I like knowing if something's sync has changed. Every I can you can look at the name really quickly to see if something's been RX'd or cleaned up or anything. For me at this point, anything other than those two things, I don't really care about anymore because <laughs> I can just look at it and see. Stranger and things hopefully is it wasn't too it much out of a pain you. in the ass for Corey. And no, Jill. not at all. <laughs> I think you're being defensive. I don't think that sounds like you're being uh, overly picky. I think it sounds really smart. No, it was. I thought it was great. I mean, it was a yeah. very, you know, like I said, well-organized, like it, consistent from editor to editor, and just knowing that that was what you were going for. And in my case, I mean, it was great because I asked if I could, you know, I'm a little wary of how to present things if I haven't worked with a mixer before or with a, you know, a crew before. And then once that first episode is passed, then it's like, okay you can settle into it. But I, I did ask if I could take a listen to an episode or two prior just to see what I was getting into and what, what the what the bar was, what the standard was. And when I checked the tracks, and like Ryan said, you can tell if something's RX'd or whatever. And a lot of the same plugins that I use were used and were already in those tracks. And I was like, okay, this is this is great. This is... This. And like Ryan said, I mean, I was... I was pleasantly surprised that um, the tracks were very similar to how I normally cut. And so that was a, a big relief, you know, stepping into the this Stranger Things world that's been so well established. And, and you know, I mean, you can't say enough about it, really. So just knowing those shoes were kind of big to, to step into and being able to, to have that 
that guide ahead of me and be able to kind of dip into it before I actually cut was was amazing. But Ryan, I mean, you you know, you're self-deprecating and you're and you're you're not too insane and you're not too detail oriented <laughs> and you're not crazy because you know uh, it was extremely extremely helpful and very well thought out. I thought. I'm good. Just try to make it easy for everybody. For sure. Easier considering what we're dealing with. <laughs> oh well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were all lovely people. I mean, every single person that came in for ADR, the picture department, the sound team, like it, it helps that every, you know, you were doing this big crazy show, but everyone's friends and everyone's nice and professional. It makes it really easy to go to work every day. Yeah. Awesome. Well, considering uh, that the series actually changed Netflix stock prices, like it's <laughs> it's insane how popular the show is. Like uh, it must be amazing to know that everybody is seeing what you're actually working on. Congratulations on the uh, fourth season, and I'm looking forward to uh, what everybody's got up next. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. Thanks. Well, that was part one of our Stranger Things season four coverage. Next week, we will be releasing part two, where we interview four people from the talented sound design team. It is a really wonderful talk, so please make sure you check it out. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've been your host, Tim Muirhead, and to send us out of this episode, here is a teaser with Craig Hennigan, the supervising sound editor on Stranger Things, telling us about why he loves working on this series. I think for all of us, if you're gonna do it and you're working in sound, you kind of just really want to go for it. I know that's sort of always been my thing, you know, that I just, if, I, if I'm gonna work, I want to work and I want to be part of something that's is special, is I want to be part of something that treats sound with the utmost respect that gives us the room to play things. We've all been on projects where we, you know, kill ourselves on certain things and then it doesn't get played in the mix. This is not that show. This is the show where the Matt and Ross turn around and go, okay, what else do you have? What more can we add? What other things can we do? So yeah. Dumb Beggars is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. 